0: Hey guys, it's Pete. Just wanted to let you know that my second book, Frankenstein Souls Echo, is now available. It continues the adventure from Frankenstein to Life Beyond, which is a direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic novel. Both Frankenstein A Life Beyond and Frankenstein Souls Echo are available as eBooks on Amazon, iBookstore, Barnes & Noble, Cabot, and of course from EnceladusLiterary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we
1: look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it
0: with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. And i say, Mr. Alonzo, what will your pleasure be?
0: Let me take your order, jot it down, you ain't never been like me. <laughs>
1: With your host, Pete.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel Day-Lewis. And those of you who've seen Last of the Mohicans know that much of the plot consists of my character Hawkeye running from one place to another. Running up hills. Running across fields. Through rivers. Running, running, and more running. How did I get into shape for all this running, you ask? The
1: answer is this. The Mohican Master 2000. And Greg,
0: you'd be William Money out of Missouri, Killed women and children. That's right. I've killed women and children. Killed just about everything who walks or crawls at one time or another.
1: And I'm here to kill you, little Bill, for what you did to Ned. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Selena Kyle. You're fired. And Bruce Wayne,
0: why are you dressed up like Batman?
1: Because he is Batman, you
0: moron. Lethal Weapon 3? Why, that's so ridiculous as to be ridiculous. Why, why? Are you kidding? 1992
1: was the year of Wayne's world.
0: <clears throat>
1: and pillows over computers. <clears throat> There we go. <laughs> <laughs> this is high tech on hindsight 2020. <laughs> which of course, we've already I, I, started. I got
0: the pillow going. <laughs> I've got the, I got the keyboard a-clicking.
1: And the, yeah. only, <laughs> the only thing left is to talk about 1992. Uh, is that all that's left? The year I started high school. Or, wait. no. Nope. 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 It was the end of my freshman year. Yeah, you're a sophomore, (laughs) sir. (laughs) Oh, for the love of God, it was 20 some odd years ago. I don't remember. All I remember is the hype surrounding Lethal Weapon 3. But we're not here to talk about Lethal Weapon 3. We're here. We had so much success with 1995, we figured, why not stay with the awkward 90s and go back
0: to 1992? <laughs> That's how I'll always think of them, the awkward 90s. <laughs>
1: when we were originally going to do 1989 and then thought, oh, we've kind of already... It's, it's like our we 1997. About
0: quite a few of those, as it turns out. Between yeah. 1989 <laughs> and
1: 1997, we got everything covered already in those lists of box office hits of those years so we figured, hey 1992 looks random and awkward let's do that
0: well, it was before the internet became a big thing and I don't know what else was going on in 92, the Gulf War was over um, election of Ross, oh yes, Ross so it was an election Perot year, that's president. true
1: Ross Perot became the incumbent president for some reason <laughs> was a man. That's right. (laughs) And I remember watching MTV in early summer when Sidney Crawford hosted a, let's see, the box office movies that are coming this year. And you'd see little clips. And I mainly watched it for Batman Returns, but saw clips of Lethal Weapon 3 and... Uh, a League of Their Own, and Patriot Games, which is a book that I read. oh well, yeah, this was the same year. Okay. Um, it's coming back. It's coming back to me. Uh, I think they showed clips of Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, the sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And uh, I'm trying to think what else was in the summer. I just, I, I just remember that because kids, prior to YouTube, we didn't have any easy ways of seeing these types of behind-the-scenes or We couldn't watch trailers on Endless Loop. We had to set a VCR to record something to then watch. And I did that with that MTV Cindy Crawford-hosted crazy special of some sort. You
0: were king of the videotape.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Why not? (laughs) And, um, yeah, that was... I I just remember that one because, yeah, Batman Returns, Lethal Weapon 3... Um a little bit they talked about Wayne's World I think but it wasn't anything they were expecting to be major at least at that point. Um Oh no no, I take that back. Wayne's World came out early in the year. Never mind. But uh yeah, we're going to we're going to run through the list here of 1992 and what can work now, what should be left alone, what should be rebooted, what should have a really long distance sequel that we've seen only work recently once with Mad Max and never for anything else
0: (laughs) yes we have had a notable string of failures on that
1: front and there's no easy way to cut off here when looking at the domestic box office champs of 1992 Um, I believe for 1995 we just kept going until we decided oh my god we gotta stop doing this
0: Yeah, it started getting rather inane, as I recall. So,
1: I mean, we could theoretically go to number 46 and say, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot as our final (laughs) film. I don't want to make that our end note. (laughs) Oh, oh, heavens no. Um, In fact, the decent movies don't really start until around number 30 when Sneakers, which is a uh, beloved film for both you and I, Which came out September 11th, 1992. A movie about hackers and the sneaking around the government. I think there's something there. There's something there, conspiracy. Because Dan Aykroyd talked about conspiracies in that movie, and it came out on 9 11, Kyle. What do you have to say? Anything? Cartman. So I say we start with 30 at Sneakers because anything below 30 is pretty much garbage. It's pretty much something that How Did This Get Made would handle. Well, I don't 30 know. 30 on
0: down. Cause, uh, well, Medicine Man. Oh.
1: <laughs> I mean, you got Passenger, passenger 57, 57 man. <laughs> Universal Soldier. Honeymoon in Vegas. Lawnmower Man. And Three Ninjas. Stopper My Mom Will Shoot. Candy Man. Howard's End. Toys. I mean, this is just nothing we but go a... Go back and do Merchant
0: and Ivory series this only.
1: This is <laughs> just nothing but a list of what how the disc it made would make. Because this is just all garbage. <gasps> the Mighty
0: Ducks! Uh, oh. Uh... Oh. uh Yes. Fortunately, we have Beethoven at number 26 to look forward to. In fact, all
1: the way down to 100 and... Oh, God. Yeah, never mind. Just forget it. We started 30 with sneakers because it's just not (laughs) worth it. I don't care if Malcolm X is at number 32. Screw you, people. I'm going with 30 and down. All right. But uh, sneakers, we love it. It should be left alone. We talked about doing an episode on it, but then thought... How are we going to do that as a hindsight? Because we're just going to be a big old ball of... Leave this alone.
0: (laughs) A uh, unique creation that only could have worked during that period of time. With those people. With those people. (laughs) Yeah. In their... Again,
1: conspiracy theories abound. I think Dan Aykroyd should talk about that. That when the movie came out, his conspiracy character was all about it. So... I said we leave that one alone.
0: Agreed.
1: My Cousin Vinny. There's a movie I saw once, never thought about again.
0: <laughs> Come on, it gave us... What's-her-face?
1: Yes, it did give us Marisa Tomei. There we was, go. That was a uh, a nice high school celebrity crush for me, uh, but um, nothing more than that. And
0: I, She's I, one of those just, like, Hollywood curiosities for me. It's like, well... I know she was in stuff, and she won an Oscar, and that's all I got.
1: Well, and that's basically all you get from that movie. That and Herman Munster, the judge. That's pretty much it. And I'm pretty sure that the basic premise of that movie is something that somebody at Fox right now is going, you know what we could redo now is my cousin Vinny. But we can just do it for a modern age where these two bumpkin or these two guys get stuck in a bumpkin backwater place and have to have their slick lawyer come down and help,
0: which I think was the story of that movie. I don't know. I, I've only ever seen I think bits and pieces of it. So, so- yeah, I'm sure
1: I... Fox is going to remake at some point. <laughs> it's just too too generic of an idea for them to leave. Sinatra all
0: right, well them. let's let's try this then with our limited knowledge. Who would we recast? Oh,
1: geez. well Joe, Pe- <laughs> Joe Pesci ain't around anymore, so um, oh man, Uh I don't know who's doing that Joe Pesci thing that slick new yorker person who has to go to a country bumpkin i mean i could almost see it instead of being like a slick new yorker i could be it more see it now more like a suave british speaking guy like a colin firth or something some uppity type guy who has to come down and learn how to live with the country bumpkins while he's being a lawyer to his cousins so we would rename it my cousin vincent sure <laughs> my cousin sir vincent yeah i leave that one on the on the on the floor though i, I wouldn't bother but alien 3 we've always got to have an alien movie going because
0: for some uh, reason it's been a while since uh we had a straight up alien movie you gotta go back to what the year of nineteen ninety seven, I believe. But
1: no, but that universe is just always around because you have the Predator versus Alien movies. Uh, you had let's Prometheus. Let's not talk about that. Uh, that's you cannot talk about it if you want to, but they do exist. <laughs> One thing is for certain, they do exist, and so that means that for some reason, this little movie in nineteen seventy nine. Has just spawned this universe that Fox continues to mine for some reason, and I personally don't it's understand. Called,
0: it's it. called money.
1: <laughs> I, I under yeah, I understand that. Uh, let's just get that out of the way. We are f- flat out looking at a list that has millions of dollars on e- next to each one of these films. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm talking about. I just don't understand how p- beyond part two, maybe part three, how that is a continuing, endless story.
0: Well, I think it kind of ran into a problem by the time you got to number three. Um, and that's part of the reason that you ended up with what you ended up with, because I think there was a lot of contention about, well, what do we do with this now? Because when the original Alien was conceived, you know, totally a different era of filmmaking, they weren't thinking, well, gosh, we got to turn this thing into a franchise and keep cranking these puppies out. Uh, they were kind of surprised by how much it caught fire, and uh, it took years to develop the second one. And then Fox wanted to turn around and crank out number three as quickly as possible. And uh, for various reasons, it took longer than they wanted to get the third one out. The third one was met with uh, rather mixed reviews and still to this day is somewhat controversial. So, But it, it's famous because it's early Fincher. Uh, might be the earliest as far as like a mass film goes. Well,
1: my only knowledge of Alien 3 is from that same Cindy Crawford MTV thing. That's the other (laughs) one. It all
0: comes back to Cindy Crawford.
1: (laughs) It's just because they kept showing clips of bald Sigourney Weaver, and because at that time I was only really watching because of, hey, it's Lethal Weapon and Batman and then other movies that are coming out. I turn my brain off whenever that stuff happened or fast forwarded because I had no knowledge or interest or investment in that world. So uh, I still don't to a degree. I have now seen the original Alien and Alien 3 and parts of Prometheus. I and listen to all the podcasts about the movies. But as far as anything new in the Alien universe, I I'm not sold on how that's still a universe to be Continual new movies. I mean, I the idea behind Prometheus was good, as far as what you could do with something. But uh, from what I understand, the execution's not. But um, I just I don't know how it continues to be a thing that in 2015 is still a thing from 1992 being a part three, and we're still talking about more movies in that universe. How? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's an alien who gets on a ship. I mean, yay! Get him, or something.
0: <laughs> well, they did just announce they are going to be doing a new one of these. I forget who uh, who's helming this one. I have
1: no idea. That is an excellent question. One left to Google. Uh, let me look it up here. And, yeah, the new alien movie... Is untitled
0: for Neil Blomkamp. That's right. Okay. So... well, the interesting thing about all of the Alien movies is they've always had different directors, and every director has brought something kind of different to uh, the project and to the universe and the aesthetic of the thing. So.
1: But after part two, mm-hmm. have any of them really been good?
0: I would say that Alien 3 is, from a filmmaking standpoint, a good film. It's not necessarily a good Alien film. And I kind of feel that way about number four as well. It's like, well, there's some interesting ideas here, but I'm not totally taken with where the story goes in the direction. But I wasn't, you know, helming the project, so... So what you're saying
1: is, is that <laughs>
0: number three was a good movie, not Alien.
1: Number four was okay, but not Alien. So basically Alien is just this weird name that seems like it just keeps getting dragged you've got, out.
0: Well, you've got like basic elements like any sequel stuff. you got basic elements that you're looking to get kind of thrown in there. I don't think in a lot of ways they've ever been able... The only person who's ever been able to kind of expand or shake uh, the mold of the original a little bit was uh Cameron with number 2. I think Fincher was more interested in working with different kind of cinematic techniques and storytelling techniques and that type of thing and he didn't have a big investment in the characters or what had come before so he's just kind of like Uh, We can just kill off these people and then go do this thing And whatever Um, And that's where the schism comes For a lot of fans Is just literally how the thing gets rolling And uh, the basic setup for it Um, Number three Or four uh, Again you've got Kind of an interesting idea With bringing in this Outside crew and the basic setup To bring Ripley back But again just kind of lacking In follow through with character and story execution and that kind of stuff so you've got very similar elements in all of them and you've got similar beats in all of them but uh, as far as fully connecting or feeling like there's a true guiding overall vision with the storytelling i'd say you got one and two
1: i think that kind of answers the question (laughs) (laughs) is there much left to even do with with it I don't know.
0: They've done comics. I've never read any of the comics. Um, Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. It's obviously
1: being redone. So endlessly, endlessly being redone (laughs) is Alien. Hey, as long as Fox can make money off of it, they will keep doing it. All right. Well, we drop down to... A film that has strong Star Wars connections and strong Halloween connections and strong Friday the 13th connections. But go figure, it's forever young. (laughs) Uh, I saw this because, as I've said on this episode, on this podcast many times before, I'm a sucker for any sort of time travel things. And this isn't necessarily time travel, this is more uh, Captain America, where. Uh, Mel Gibson's a test pilot in like early World War II who gets he, like loses his girl in a coma or something and gets frozen as part of an experiment, left in a warehouse and not woken up until Elijah Wood and his friend accidentally wake him up in 1992, and it's yeah, it just is <laughs> just kind of nah, yeah, but it's it's Jamie Lee Curtis in it. It's written by j.j J. abrams one of his earliest writings uh directed by steve minor who did a bunch of friday the 13th movies um it's kind of got like i said captain america going on
0: with, with the romance that spans the decades thing it does but not really it's
1: it's it's very much a whole lot of ideas that never really come together. Ooh, this sounds like a great movie. <laughs> well, that's why I, I mean that's what we're here for. Is it's right. not a great movie, but I think there's a lot of pieces that I could definitely see this coming now. Like a lot of bits and pieces here that could be redone with. Guy getting frozen, woken up now, all of his people gone, but not in the Captain America way. Superhero, just in this love story that
0: just didn't. Nothing ever came through. I mean, it was. Was it like the chemistry between the actors or the general storytelling? To- I've never seen it, so it I can. was just
1: just the storytelling just kind of didn't go anywhere. It was. You'd think, okay, well, Jamie Lee Curtis is a single mom and. Her son brings Mel Gibson home, and Mel Gibson, in the heat of being Mel Gibson, so oh yeah, well nope, nothing happens there. And <laughs> um, and then boy, it seems like
0: some time has passed. You look a little bit different.
1: Well, see ya. And then Mel Gibson goes to the army to talk. Uh, oh wait, this was off the books, and he's crazy. Get him off here, and he's a fish out of water. But we don't ever really deal with this being a fish out of water. He's got a. Elijah Wood, who's a little kid and he's his friend. Hey, that's cute, but no, and it's romantic. No, it's not really romantic. And then he sees his person who was in a coma, his fiance from like 1939, now older in 1992. And I, it just was a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> it was just a whole lot of there's an idea, didn't do anything. There's an idea, didn't do, these- do anything.
0: It may be the superhero connection. I don't know. Do these movies kind of work when little kids become involved? I'm, like, going back to Superman Returns and going, well, as you were talking.
1: It just... That might be the reason why. It, it's just because, I mean, Elijah Wood was still years away from Lord of the Rings, so he was still an annoying... That's like a baby's His... Back to the Future 2 cameo was better acting than what he did in this movie. So it was pretty just all around blah, but the idea is something that could certainly be redone now. I absolutely wholeheartedly see, well, Chris Pratt is an action star, but let's make him a romantic lead, and here we go, and booby de boo <laughs> And actually have some sort of romantic chemistry with the single mom or something that he's there with and not just, hey, look, it's Jamie Lee Curtis and Mel Gibson talking at a table. And, and I guess it was like, well, they're not going to do the standard trope thing where they get together. But, I mean, it was just like instantaneous. Oh, these two are not going to get together when you think you there would be some reason that they should or maybe hinting towards it. And it was just it was a very
0: awkward movie. I'd be fine if it was a straight up romance and for once it's like the military like realizes they screwed up and they don't want to like off the guy or make him sound like he's crazy or like or his, like, his friend in, like, like actually still wants to just help him
1: or he brings like a full lawsuit against the military and yeah they...
0: <laughs> I, something yeah I Break out of that mold. It's it's fine. It's uh, like, well, okay, shit happens. How do you deal with it? Oh, and there's a romance going on here too. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. It's it's certainly
1: something that could be brought back. Uh, the next one on the list. Never saw any of them. <laughs> Beethoven. No, I, you,
0: Beethoven. I don't even remember how many there ended up being. Like five. <laughs> oh, I know. As I'm looking right at you, Beethoven. You've Break my heart.
1: <laughs> Take that, booby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in fact, there's our sound clip for the head. It's Ben Stiller shows, <laughs> booby! <laughs> uh, the, the, the dog stole my chair. Know. Uh, yeah, um,
0: I, I don't know if we've really got much to say other than, well, these films happened and they were popular at the time.
1: There's Big St. Bernard running around causing havoc stuff for Charles Grodin. Yay! Yay! Hey. And scene. okay, uh, unlawful entry. Uh, Kurt Russell, uh, Ray Liotta, Madeline Stowe. Very, very, very early '90s movie.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, like it's dark and noirish and dramatic for some reason.
0: God, how many of these like pseudo stalker movies did we yeah, get in that era? There was I mean. so many. Like. He's I'm Michael Keaton, I'm in Pacific Heights. I, I'm a crazy stalker guy. Crazy stalker guy, man. In fact,
1: I think there's another one we're gonna get to on this list somewhere. Uh or did we already pass it? Um Uh oh God, it's escaping my escaping my head here. Actually I'm scrolling through the list. I saw another one. Consenting adults was basically the same goddamn thing. It's here's a couple, and then they have to face off against somebody who's crazy. Uh, final analysis had kim basinger and alec baldwin in it and and bill pullman and one of them was crazy psycho and after them stalkerish and what oh single white female there you go um where it's crazy stalkerish person yeah that is so early 90s what is that and why, well,
0: thank God you know, it's gone. Was there a, was there a lot go? of that kind of stuff going on in the media? Was that like the Hallmark film of the week thing spilling over into the cinema? I I don't know. I, I'm just so curious. There were so was, many of those. I don't know if that was an outgrowth from Silence of the Lambs. I, I no, because Silence of the Lambs was like a serial
1: killer thing. I just wonder what was in the well, Yeah, air. but I mean,
0: most, most of these people were being hunted down by serial killers. I don't know. I guess you had, like, serial killers in the 80s. But I,
1: well, they weren't really know. serial killers, though. They were just these, like, really creepy, bad people who never left them alone for some reason. In fact, we saw. I saw. I was going to say there was a new one. A
0: trailer for that. Yeah, with Joel Edgerton.
1: Yeah, it was a new movie with Joel Edgerton where he's just like this creepy stalker guy, and I'm just like, what is that genre?
0: And it's so weird. I couldn't. I couldn't stop laughing uh, at the name of it. It's like. Gordo or whatever is the character he's playing, is just, like, going back to Beethoven. It's like, when Jason Bateman is saying that, it just sounds like he's admonishing the family dog. Gordo! <laughs> stop digging through the trash! Well, yeah, I mean, the name of the movie is The Gift, but his character's
1: name was Gordo. Yeah, it's just... ah, uh, I don't understand that. So, yeah, for unlawful entry, I... I can go. I mean,
0: I was gonna say I think we've had a billion sequels
1: to this already. (laughs) It just didn't make any sense. And uh, Madeline Stowe was hot. That's about as far as I'll go on that one. Yeah, (laughs) it's about as far as I can go. Um, the next one on the list: Death Becomes Her. Zemeckis having fun with his pre-digital technology.
0: Interesting. There's an awful lot of Zemeckis movies that exist because of him having fun with his <laughs> technology. I mean, you Back really to the future two and three. Yeah, if you really look at the man's uh, film listing and everything, it's like, oh yeah, Christmas Carol.
1: Hmm, yeah. yeah. Well, Death Becomes Her. I I like it because it was unique. I don't necessarily like it because I it was the. I really remember movie. the
0: plot, other than people ending up all weird and twisty and mutilated and stuff that's about all i recall about the plot well, of the, movie. the basic
1: plot is that demi earned it Demi uh goldie hahn and meryl streep uh both independently like hate each other and independently discover this uh like secret potion that gives them eternal life where they just look the best physically that they can at that moment and they stay that way forever but you know if they get damaged or hurt or something like that they have to be patched up and Bruce Willis is a, a, not an embalmer but a uh, what do what you I don't know mortician yeah so it's just kind of this awkward dark comedy um, about you know those, these people who find this potion and that's what I mean it's not the greatest movie but it is a pretty good fun concept which is what Zemeckis is usually good coming up with but I think it could be redone or somehow now
0: would well, you keep the same tone or do you think it should be redone as either a straight up comedy or something more serious or we, we can take the unlawful entry plot and throw in black magic or I don't know
1: I think you could – I think it straddled the tone nicely where it was between a comedy and and dark without – more on the comedy side. I'd see it – now somebody would be overbearing and make it like this really dark with hints of comedy. Mm. Like Blumhouse Productions would get a hold of the thing and turn it into like this super serious jump scare ball kind of thing. <laughs> And I could see the trailer now.
0: Death becomes her. Yeah, which wouldn't work at all.
1: Mm. (laughs) Hell, honestly, I could actually see Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep and Bruce Willis actually getting back together now. And actually doing something like a sequel years later. Since they're supposed to be living forever, but they get destroyed. So that's how they could show how they age or something. Uh, I could actually see something... Now, I don't know what the story would be. I was going to say, that,
0: that actually sounds more interesting to me than remaking it. It's like, let's pick back up with these people. What's going on.
1: Yeah, it, it could be interesting. But uh, speaking of Goldie Hawn, mm-hmm. we're at House Sitter with Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin. The hey. duo of the century, for some reason. <laughs> because they did like three movies together in the 90s. Um,
0: well, Steve Martin turned up a lot in movies in the 90s. <laughs> That he did, Edward. That he did.
1: Yeah. Uh, House Sitter was a generic blah comedy.
0: <laughs> and, well, don't build it up too much.
1: <laughs> well, you obviously didn't see it. it I sounds didn't see like see it. No. It, it, was, it was just kind of taking advantage of this Goldie Hawn resurgence of the late 80s, early 90s, where she suddenly was like, put her in a comedy! A wacky comedy of some sorts. And... Uh, yeah it I the idea could probably be translated into something now modern but it it wasn't very good just plain and simple it was like Steve Martin's this really successful guy who got divorced I think and had a one-night stand oh god I'm blanking on I think he had a one-night stand with Goldie Hawn Just one time and then he went back home to New York and had this house in like somewhere in New England, this little cottage that she ended up staying in and telling all the people in the town that she was married to him. And then when he comes back to the house, uh, she's ingratiated herself so much with everybody that he has to go along with it for some inane, silly comedy reason.
0: So, it's what about Bob 2? I
1: guess. It, it, it wasn't very good. <laughs> House guest who won't leave. Talked about it enough already, I think. I've devoted more time than anything All right, we'll leave that right back now. in
0: 1992. It's fine.
1: But then there's the Honey, I Shrunk the Kid sequel, known as Ant Man. We're already doing that now. We can move <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they blew up the kid, apparently, in 92. <laughs> they did. They blew him up. Which I'm guessing, since I never saw it, this is where the kid gets tall. If I remember my uh, Sidney Crawford I, MTV show, I think I, that's where the kid gets big.
0: Yes, I'd I defer to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you know, I, between Lily Tomlin, the incredibly shrink, Incredible Shrinking Woman, and the run of the Rick Moranis, like, tiny things, mm-hmm. all we have is Ant-Man. I think we're kind of missing that shrunken world kind of thing there's a lot you could do with that and
0: we respect Rick Moranis for retiring and everything like that good for him but we do miss you Rick well
1: come back for Ghostbusters for some reason (laughs) or or do Little Giants 2 that'll bring you back you hoser
0: just be fun to see him in something again
1: exactly Well, he did a voice for Bob and Doug McKenzie within the last five years for something. Oh, okay. Eh, who knows? But I do know that Far and Away was a boring, boring, (laughs) boring movie. I will leave it at that for the one time I saw Far and Away. How about you?
0: Um, uh, This is one that... I don't know. It's like I remember liking some bits of the soundtrack and little snippets of the film but as a whole yeah it it lags horribly um there just isn't a whole lot of oomph to it and you don't i i think it's kind of hard to connect with the characters and it's kind of interesting looking at uh that period of history and immigration and all that kind of stuff but yeah as a film itself yeah it's kind of a kind of a snooze fist.
1: What is it? It's Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman at the height of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman being something.
0: This is what they did after Days of Thunder, right? And that's, that's where they got together.
1: Yeah, this was after that. Yeah. And this is, you know, Ron Howard uh, up and coming as a director. To, but what was it about? It's All I know this is a horrible Irish accent from Tom Cruise <laughs> and riding on horses.
0: Well, it starts out, yeah, it starts out in Ireland, and I think he goes to kill her dad, and her dad, like, owns their family's property or something like that, and he ends up getting into this... I think he's supposed to get into a duel with the guy that she's engaged to who luckily is a dick um, so that we can root for Tom Cruise. and somehow they both end up over in New York and we spend a lot or Boston or one of those cities and we spend a lot of time there and we see them uh, getting treated like crap because they're immigrants and they have to kind of try to pull together and you know, there's supposed to be this romantic tension underlying everything, and they finally end up out in Oklahoma, um, and that's where everything kind of wraps up.
1: For a land rush
0: or something. Land rush! Yep. You, you know what it says to me? It says,
1: this is what all the girls on the night of our prom, when we were all at a house together, wanted to watch, and it's called... Boring. <laughs> that's what it is to me, and will always be. I just have no interest. It just seems like it was nothing but a piece to put Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in a movie together. It just doesn't seem like anything worth anything.
0: Well, they did try this again with Eyes Wide Shut. Maybe yeah. it just doesn't work to put the two of them together in a movie. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe that's the golden rule. I I I kind of like. Uh, well, uh, not across the board. Uh, like I said, it, it's kind of an interesting period of history and everything. I think you could do it more interesting than they did it and definitely shorter than they did it. I think they were really striving for epic uh with this movie. And again, it's it's competently shot. There's some good production values to it and everything like that. But just it's kind of a kind of a kind of a boring movie. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah I, <laughs> but hey, We can go on to Man Wiener now with The Crying Game. (laughs) And uh, what it's really only known for, and I never saw it, is the infamous
0: Man Wiener scene at the end. Um, Yeah, I can't say that I've seen this one either.
1: Now, a good thing was uh, put out today, actually, uh, because today was the day of the, uh, the cover photograph of one former Bruce Jenner, now Caitlyn Jenner as a I guess technically transgender or whatever the technical term is for whatever he, she is now doing. Cause I don't think he's doing full surgery and somebody brought up, well, I think the crying game should be remade now and it'll be less of a shock and more of a study of what's actually going on in a more acceptable social way. Now, I don't know the real story of the crying game outside of just that scene. So I don't. Yeah, I know almost nothing about the Crying Game. So, so I, I'm, I'm guessing. And a song. There was a song with it. Um, so I'm just guessing that. Yeah, I guess it could be redone now in a way, because LGBT issues are so prevalent with finally being progressive and finally dealing with these things. That yeah, why not? You can redo it straight up, I guess, of a guy falling in love with a girl who's actually a guy or and maybe dealing with it differently now and more socially relevant.
0: Sure. Yeah. uh, Again, I just don't know enough about the movie to say one way or another what should be done with
1: it. (laughs) No, I just know that and another movie further down on the list here as we continue to move were big topics during that. uh that election year, big social issue type topic movies. Um, so we'll get to the other one, but I know crying game was a big topic that year mm. and it kind of made Miramax, the Harvey Weinstein company. It kind of put them really on the map. It was kind oh, of the, yeah,
0: that would have been in the early days with them. That was their big explosion movie that led to
1: clerks and pulp fiction and all that stuff later dominance in the nineties. So, all right. Well, that that'll work. Son of a woman. Pretty much gave Ooh-ah! us Hoo-ah! and that's what it gave us. It gave <laughs> it us that. Gave us, Hoo-ah. It gave us that, and grandfather Robin Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> that's
0: what it gave us. <laughs> uh, the forty-nine-year-old sidekick of
1: <laughs> Batman. Are you calling him a boy? He's not a boy. He's a grandfather. <laughs> uh, so. I saw a *Son of a Woman* once. I don't really remember much outside of Chris uh, I've O'Donnell and the cards of it, student and of helping, course, know the hoo-ha thing. But uh, he's helping blind Al Pacino or something. It really seems
0: like Al, it was, well, Al Pacino's a lawyer or something in you know, it, right?
1: I th- think so. Maybe I don't know. I just know that it, I don't think this could translate now without knowing the story. I think I just know it pop culture-wise, and if that's enough to tell me it's not going to be remakes, I think it was just a Al Pacino showpiece. Like, Al Pacino needs to get his Oscar. Let's do this. And nothing more. Mm. That's my opinion, but again, without knowing it, it just seems like one of those that'll just be lost to early 90s history. Yeah, agreed. And then there's oh, Mr. Eddie Murphy and your rapid decline <laughs> if we had a graph to show the the uh, pop culture rise and decline of Eddie Murphy from quality, it would just be this spike in the 80s that stayed there until he decided to do another set of Beverly Hills Cop and then it just went like a bottom out pit with a little blip at Bowfinger in 1999, but
0: yeah, I was going to say the 90s were not
1: kind to this man's career. And Boomerang, I never saw it. Don't know anything about it. I think it was like a political something or another, maybe. I don't know. What's tell you? (laughs) I don't know. What's the uh, let's 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 give it its its proper due. Oh, Robin Gibbons. Mrs. Mike Tyson. Successful executive and Womanizer finds his lifestyle choices have turned back on him when his new female boss turns out to be an even bigger deviant than he is. Uh we've probably seen this uh, a couple hundred times already. It seems like just a formula movie yeah. for Eddie Murphy. So we don't we don't have to do much more on it.
0: What's <laughs> number go back in time and say, Eddie Murphy, you need to make different choices in the nineties.
1: Just only do Bowfinger and
0: nothing else,
1: and you'll be like the Stanley Kubrick of actors. (laughs) But what's number 17 on the list, Captain Number 17
0: is a movie that I actually really like, The Last of the Mohicans. And And the Mohican Mohican Master 2000. (laughs) Yeah,
1: That's all I know about this film, because I've never seen it.
0: Oh, man. Um, Yeah, Uh, this was uh, my oldest sister's, like... Biggest film ever um, of the early 90s, and uh, she got all of us kind of hooked on it, and uh, movie good. The book that it's based on um, is a bit of a chore to read, so... (laughs)
1: So was it something to be redone, or Daniel Day Lewis put such a stamp on it? Actually, it, it, was
0: re, it was a it was a redone version. There was an earlier version of it made, and I want to say like the nineteen thirties uh, that was um, in some places pretty freaking hysterical. Actually, uh, with the aesthetics of the time period, like there's a scene where um, somebody goes over a cliff, and it's pretty. Epic and horrifying, and all that kind of stuff there. And in this version of it, in the 30s version, they like go over a cliff, and it's like, well, even though our bones are totally broken, we're going to reach out and hold each other's hands as we're dying. And I've got this like massive bandage on my head that is uh, larger than a hat would be. And it it was just kind of corny. But um, no, this is, this is to me, it's. It's actually a good, and not just because of the subject matter, but it's like the early 90s aesthetic that started to change when we got into, and I I guess far and away would kind of qualify as this too, of where we kind of got they started to try to be more faithful to history and the time periods that these types of movies were set in. And we saw it with dances with wolves and that kind of stuff. And, um, I think just more of kind of a general cultural openness and awareness that hadn't been there. in, I would say some previous iterations of these types of movies and that type of thing. So,
1: so more historical accuracy. So, yeah. that, you know, the, the Indians aren't wearing Nikes underneath their moccasins <laughs> or whatever. <laughs>
0: Well, I, you know, they're they're actually speaking Delaware uh, language on screen, and not just me speak broken English and things like that. I, yeah, I mean, they actually tried to give you some cultural touchstones from then and again uh, much more uh, with the production values for the time period and really giving you a sense of the uh, place and everything like that and uh, helping you to understand why some of the controversies uh, existed back in the time period and everything So, um, and I think the 90s really got the ball rolling with that I just can't there probably was something but the 80s that that whole line of thinking just didn't really seem to be there. And there was just a slew of movies that came out in the uh, nineties and beyond that I think really picked up what started uh, with these early nineties films and just have kind of run with it and really developed it. And you've gotten some neat stuff from it. So
1: yeah, I think you've got that historical reality epic started kind of with dances with wolves right through this, right through Braveheart. All the way up to Gladiator, where it was more focusing on actual historical visuals, more and grandier to the epics. Yeah, and less of, well, Kirk Douglas is popular now. Give him a sword and sandals. <laughs> I am coal. Spartacus. Uh... <laughs> uh, although I think I sounded more like Charles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, same thing. You know. Ten oh, Commandments and whatnot, but. Uh, well, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes can get back together and play basketball And we can watch White Men Can't Jump too. That's all I gotta say about that
0: Oh, Spike had two movies this year Um, what? Oh, well, we just talked about how Malcolm X was, like, further back on the list He had two big movies out this year
1: Alright, he did White Men Can't Jump? I thought he did, didn't he? Wow, I didn't... Think oh, no, he, he didn't. That he didn't. No, he didn't. Ron Shelton. I'm wrong. Yeah, Ron Shelton. Mr. Tin Cup Bull Durham dude. Oh, that Sport, guy. Okay. Sportsman. Oh, wow. I got
0: totally <laughs> wrong on that.
1: Never mind. Sportsman. Ready to go in there and play basketball. What am I thinking of? Uh, I don't... Jungle Fever?
0: No... Do the right thing? Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking of. Well,
1: that's a 1989, which yeah, I we could have talked well,
0: about. hey! <laughs> uh, it all comes full circle. <laughs>
1: this was just odd, like, hey, you know who our new Laurel and Hardy are? Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. Let's put them and everything together for some reason. Did
0: they do a couple movies together?
1: Yeah, they did this. They did Money Train, and I think there was another one that they did. And
0: awkward.
1: Okay. But such is life of the mid-90s. Spade (laughs) and Farley could give them a run for their money. But Bram Stoker's Dracula is always being redone. (laughs) So I don't even know how we could even talk about this because this is a story Uh, that's always going to be redone over and over and over and over and over. This is just Francis Ford Coppola's really weird version (laughs)
0: Mm, it's, you, you had this pseudo-movement, I'll call it, to try to redo some of the horror classics a little bit more faithful, or supposedly faithful, uh, to the works that they were based off of. So you got like this, you got uh, Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein movie a couple of years later, and uh, you had, what, that... God awful Mary Riley, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde story and that kind of thing. And yeah, they would kind of get so far into adopting the source material and then go, you know what, just screw it. Let's just do this thing now. Let's, just, and let's, kind let's of, just have Keanu in here for some reason. Oh God, why? <laughs> yeah, we already talked about that on a Quick Fix episode. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. Look at this blood. Oh, those animals. Oh, oh God, you're an animal. <laughs> <laughs> just,
0: yeah, I I don't know. I mean, this movie has its moments. Um, some people find this movie very kind of hokey and overacted. Some people really stand by and defend this. Um, I don't know if I have a real strong opinion one way or another about it.
1: Eh, it, it, we already know it's going to be redone. And I don't think we have to... And again, like you said, we talked about it in the quick fixes. So uh, Another in a series of of uh, tangentially connected films that somehow became a series of movies. I'm still not 100% sure why, even though I actually have read the books and enjoyed them is Patriot Games, the Harrison Ford entry into the Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan world, which, again, goes back to that MTV special I remember. (laughs) Back
0: to Cindy Crawford.
1: (laughs) Well, I I will only point that out just because, again, I watched that so much because, again, kids, we didn't have YouTube. And I just remember that I didn't read a whole lot of huge novels when I was a kid. I read a lot, but it wasn't a lot of, like, really big books. And I remember I read Patriot Games before this movie came out. And so that's why I had some interest in it. And so I was more interested in it from that standpoint of, oh, they did that differently. Oh, that's really different. That I don't think I ever really got to enjoy or seriously properly critique the movie. Because I was still fairly young and heavily comparing it to the book more than what was actually put on screen so it could be a really great movie i always just kind of thought it was a
0: meh kind of meh. Uh, i like this one better than what was the other one that harrison Ford was in clear and present danger there you go i like this one better than that one plus uh this was the first movie that introduced me to sean bean and yep. samuel l jackson oh that's right did you yeah. forget
1: to pay your electric bill calf? <laughs> oh, Samuel
0: L. Jackson.
1: <laughs> well, here's a well, and it also had Darth Vader and Han Solo talking hey, to each other. That's
0: true. That's true. With <laughs> a potential Princess Leia
1: as his wife and Archer. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you think that the Jack? They're, they keep trying to get the Jack Ryan series back mm-hmm. and to make it something. Now, number one, Tom Clancy's dead. Uh passed too soon so there's going to be no more he's just going to become this brand name in perpetuity
0: Uh I hate to say it but I think he already kind of had
1: well I just wonder are they going to push until the Jack Ryan series becomes something more than here's a Ben Affleck version here's a Chris Pine version here's nothing's ever coming of it is it has it been passed by because of jason Bourne, or is this going to be something that could actually turn into like a long-term bond series to the where not just talking here about the series but the actual individual movie do you think the hunt for Red october could be redone kind of like well they're dipping back into some other things they've already sort of done on the bond series or is the jack ryan series just it, it just isn't going to be what the studios want it to be
0: All right. A couple of thoughts on this. I think if you, have you ever seen the BBC Sherlock series? Nope. Okay. That series is like each season uh, is three episodes long. Um, Each episode is like 90 minutes or so. And they will literally take from the massive pantheon of, uh, sir arthur conan doyle stories and they will take elements from uh, several different stories and just kind of blend them and incorporate them in different ways and just kind of riff off of the existing stories and kind of put their own spin on it and use those elements how they will i think you could actually get away with doing something like that with the jack ryan character and do it more as a television series rather than films i don't see this character coming back to the big screen successfully.
1: Yeah, I think they, I think they thought they were going to start a franchise with Affleck, and honestly, I kind of the sum of all fears is not bad. I frankly, with seeing all the Jack Ryan movies minus the Chris Pine one I haven't seen, I would say that Hunt for Red October is a clear number one. But I'd I'd probably put. Uh, Affleck's version in there above the two Harrison Ford versions. I just I just thought it was a better movie, and I really think that Paramount thought they were starting a franchise there because they 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 tweaked that book a little bit for Affleck to make it kind of a Jack Ryan prequel, kind of a. Uh, Batman Begins for Jack Ryan, if you will, but still using the story from the book, just de aging him, and he just meets his wife and all these things. I really think they thought.
0: I thought those elements were fine. It was it was really the back half of the movie where I just thought it became kind of aimless and just started dragging.
1: Yeah. I just think that they really thought they had a start of a series there, and the two. Some things. of that
0: might have been timing too. Yeah, the that post nine eleven. three and you no, know.
1: it came out right. You know, summer of oh two, right on the heels. Oh, of it 9/11. came out
0: in oh two. Okay.
1: So blowing up the Super Bowl with a nuclear bomb was a eh, kind of a touchy issue, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. I don't know. I think Jack. I think you're you're right. The Jack Ryan series, if it's going to be anything, is just going to live on in either video games continuing, or yeah, somebody will pick up in a couple of years and try and make like a Netflix series of, of. Yeah, I
0: think something like that might work. And yeah, again, you can. Clancy's got so many works that you can just kind of pull off of and riff off of. Similar, like I was saying, to the Sherlock method, and just if you're clever and kind of make your own thing out of it i I think you could still do something with it
1: yeah i i agree but do you agree with steven seagal (laughs) (laughs) in die hard on a boat because that's Uh, all this is (laughs) it is simply living in that world of die hard in a die hard on a go make a movie. That's all this movie is. And it did spawn a sequel of, of any of the Seagal movies. It's the one that spawned a sequel. But, There's a sequel to this? Oh, yes. This was by far Steven Seagal's biggest movie like, total.
0: Oh, was it on a train?
1: Uh, I think the sequel was, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, that by, absolutely by far, this was the biggest Steven Seagal box office he uh, yes, ever tasted. <laughs> he was never a mainstream dude.
0: Uh, well, and this was kind of writing a little bit of history, too, with the fact that they were, at the time, decommissioning all of those old World War II-era battleships and everything. So uh, that was kind of out there in the public, and yeah, we were getting a— uh, what 90 is that when uh Hard 2 came out yeah yeah so i mean something to kind of tide you over while you were waiting for the next entry with that it was more or less a formula or an idea that uh, had already been kind of widely accepted by the masses and um yeah but i wonder it breaks the rule of three t- three words in the title for Steven Seagal movies for oh, poor justice.
1: I, I just wonder if the modern day is so jaded from the wonderful 1997 film Speed 2 Cruise Control
0: <laughs> that the people are just afraid well, to you put you had to have a diehard on the ocean this is definitely the one to watch
1: yeah I just wonder if uh, you could even do anything really on a boat kind of thing military or not after speed too because you know a couple years after this was crimson tide and you were singing its praises during our 1995 show Hmm. so i just wonder
0: yeah but there weren't terrorists trying to take
1: over the boat true but there (laughs) really aren't many on a boat things right now
0: i mean not really uh, you know, I don't know. We on a train. This, <laughs> I was gonna say we went through this strange era where they kept trying to set set uh, horror movies on boats. So like that virus and ghost ship and. But those are all like fifteen, deep sixteen, deep blue
1: sea or whatever. It's Like seventeen, eighteen years ago. I yeah. don't think there's anything modern that just are not. They don't go near boats. Apparently, <laughs> beginning of Captain America: Winter Soldier. There you go. That's the closest we're gonna get to under siege is taking the boat. I, I, it's just a product of its time. Yeah. So the Hand in Rocks Cradle, another one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's just a Buena Vista out of nowhere. I just remember this one because this was the early infancy of me starting to follow box office stuff besides just the movies themselves. And mm-hmm. I remember all the talk. I got my subscription to Entertainment Weekly, and it was like... The Hand that Rocks the Cradle is this little movie that could.
0: And. I remember seeing this movie and hating it.
1: Yeah, it was totally a lifetime movie of the week before Lifetime
0: existed. Yeah, it was cheesy and dull and. Stupid is all I remember feeling about it. I
1: mean, it's exactly what it, it. Right now, it has been remade. It's called any show on Lifetime or any <laughs> any movie. That's what you're going to get because that's exactly what it was before those cable channels were there. This is what it was, but it it came out in January, so I think that's why this is a preliminary version of what we all talk about now. Where it's like, quit putting crap out in January. You can own January if you put out something really good. I think that's what happened with this, is that it just became one of those word of mouth things and and I mean it's interesting because I know Rebecca De Mornay was the hot thing off a of risky business and she was still known for that. And she was the big draw of the movie. There was nobody else really in the movie people really knew. I mean Ernie Hudson was in it, but uh, Oh yeah, he was in this. But she I, I think it was just like this. And we'll see that again here in about another. Where are we at? Uh, about another two or three down the list here. We'll get to it. But it was really just that idea of she's so hot. We got to go see how hot she is. And yet, I think people got suckered because she wasn't. <laughs> she didn't do it. This was not risky business. I will tell you that. Um, it was just, yeah, it was just a movie of the week that just had pure luck behind it, I think. I think it probably nothing else opened with it. It got a decent word of mouth, and for about two or three weeks, it had like a Fifty Shades of Grey moment where everyone's got to go see it, and then it just disappears into history until we drag it up in 2015. The hand that rocks the cradle of boredom. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, let's move on to the Best Picture winner of that year. Unforgiven at number 11. The, Dark movie. <laughs> the Clint Eastwood is playing Clint Eastwood's characters grown up or something. Like an amalgam of all of his old Western characters, but now in modern, what happened to all those guys? And it's pretty much really a good idea. Really a good damn movie. Really I think not unforgiven couldn't be done now. But I think that idea, if we all, we, we talked about at nauseum before of, you know, there's a shelf life on sequels. Like, you can't wait 20 years and do Dumb and Dumber 2. You can't wait 10 years and do Anchorman 2. You can wait 30 years apparently and do a Mad Max, but, I mean, that wasn't really a story as much as just like he's just there for a different story. I think that Clint Eastwood set a template that I can't think of anything right now that would use it, but they should. Not just in Westerns, but anybody else. I mean, I, think, I guess Stallone is sort of trying to do this a little bit. If you really expand out of the box thinking like I am with the expendables, if, does that make sense or did I lose you?
0: No, I'm rolling with you. Keep going. I
1: mean, it's that general idea of you take somebody like Stallone or Schwarzenegger, who they were all of these different characters in different movies, but they were all basically the same damn thing. And now it's years later. Where would that guy be now? Stallone's not doing it very well because the Expendables movies are just basically more of the same. He's not really like contemplating his life or what he did. He's just he's pretty much the same guy. But I think that's an interesting thing you could do. Uh, Like, just somebody who played the same characters a lot, seeing them years later, dealing with the outcome of of that as a different character, but you could almost tie it in as that was the same guy. And maybe Clint's alone on that island, but I think that's such a good template to do that, I mean, you could almost see it as... Do an offshoot Batman movie right now and see where Michael Keaton is. I mean, see him as like this broken-down, older Bruce Wayne.
0: Well, you kind of did that a little bit with Birdman, Bird yeah. yeah, Yeah, I think
1: Birdman's kind of Keaton's unforgiven. Haven't
0: seen it, but yeah,
1: that, I guess that's why I thought of that. I just think that's a cool idea that could be handed over to any genre.
0: Oh, maybe that's what Sigourney's going to do in the new Alien movie. Who knows? Yeah,
1: but she has popped up in so many different, like, sci-fi, goofy things. I think she's just playing off that till she dies. <laughs> it's like every other sci-fi or comedy or something like that, you just see all of a sudden, wait, is that Sigourney Weaver? What?
0: She's
1: just, she's,
0: she's, she's everywhere. Well, for, like, female sci-fi icons, uh... Especially action icons, you don't have a whole lot of competition there.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would just be an interesting thing we could actually just just stroll down all by itself. I think is trying to come up with what are some actors who've done kind of the same things, and now we're seeing them much later. Uh, Be a
0: kind of weighing in on their past, uh, transgressions or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that could be its own episode. So, a league of their own. It's a baseball movie. We're into the $100 million marks of 1992. It's Tom Hanks. It's Gina Davis. It's Penny Marshall directed. It's Madonna acting and not being awful. It's Rosie O'Donnell (laughs) acting and not being awful. It's Lori Petty acting and, well, we'll... She's Lori Petty. Exactly.
0: (laughs) In all things, she is Lori Petty.
1: (laughs) And then it is Bill Paxton showing up at the end to watch baseball.
0: Well, I I think a lot of these movies would have done better if he had just shown up at the end of them (laughs) for no good reason.
1: I think this movie is a perfect encapsulation of that historical moment in time of women's baseball. It was done well. It's iconic. It had good actors. It was very well received. Hundred million dollars. Number ten for the year. People still remember it. I don't think people need to really, unless there is some other angle of the women's baseball era, the World War II going into Korea. I don't. I think they kind of handled it. I don't think there's anything else to be done with the
0: story. No, I mean she she definitely, um, I think put something out there that is. Iconic and unique and everything. And yeah, unless you were just going to flat out remake it with a new cast, you couldn't really do a whole lot more with it. Yeah. A lot of times people
1: are like, well, you know, your, your first reaction is, oh, they can't remake that. And then you think about it. Well, how many, everything is a remake. This is one of those, "Ah, you can't remake that. (laughs) You can't. It just is. It just is one of those movies that it's, it's in the sneakers category. I think we'll put a heading there. (laughs) <laughs> it's the... Yeah. It's they have the right... Our, the our right 1992
0: time, Untouchables.
1: <laughs> yeah, because sneakers now would be, I put it in the cloud 10 minutes ago. Why do you have to run around and chase that thing? It's it's done. It's in the cloud. Forget it. Um. So, yeah, I'd say League of Their Own is fine. Agreed. And now we get into the top 10 at number nine, the movie I was talking about I've somehow mentioned twice. It's not that important, but I... <laughs> And this was the big, along with The Crying Game, I remember this was the big political fervor of the year. It was Basic Instinct with a Sharon Stone star-making turn, and it, it was a pretty awful movie. <laughs> but it was just mainly famous for all the nudity and, and gratuitousness. And the occasional mentions of, wait, she might be bisexual. She kissed that girl. Oh, my
0: God! This movie needs to be picketed!
1: I mean, that's the 1992 world we lived in, folks.
0: Yeah, that's basically what I remember the big hubbub about the movie being about, yes. Yeah. And, and of course, some of the, yeah, like you were saying, uh, (laughs) gratuitousness of uh, certain scenes and Yep
1: And that's it And it was just this big. big thriller But it really wasn't It was, it just was a meandering
0: Well did you see the Second attempt that they did with this I don't remember how many years ago now Uh,
1: It was like Maybe seven or eight years ago And I saw the beginning of it It was on HBO once And I was like uh, okay I'll watch first ten minutes And I was like yep Just as awful if not worse <laughs> so, I mean, it's just chalked up to that early '90s. Sh- that person's crazy, noirish, crazy, sexy, crazy. Oh my god, they're so crazy, but we keep hang- having them hang around in stalkerish ways or something. And yeah, it it's amazing that it made 117 million dollars because, and that really just comes out of yeah. Titillation, and it was just so in the news. It's amazing how far our country. They has really,
0: come. they really pushed that movie. That's the main thing I remember. It,
1: yeah, it, just think about how far this country has actually come. Yeah, we're still a little backwards, but I mean, this movie was boycotted and picketed, and it was like there was one side that I remember was, we hate this movie because we're we're the gay side and it shows gay people are murderers and there was the other side it was like this is pornography and there was another side that was like this is showing homosexuals doing crazy things in our country and how can this be not rated x and it, folks it was just a cheesy crappy movie that if it was released <laughs> now i mean if it was released now i would think Maybe it would be number eighty-eight on this top one hundred list of the year, box office-wise, or it'd be straight to on-demand video or something. It was just amazing that it it did as well as it did, and it's still that famous.
0: Yeah, I agreed.
1: <laughs> All right, well, on to number eight: the movie that dominated our high school. I'm amazed that this is as high as it is. Well, it dominated our high school for... Yes, uh, it did. ...for the latter half of uh, 1992. It was... If we thought the latter half of 1997 college was dominated by talking like Dr. Evil and Austin Powers, (laughs) well, a little Mike Myers went a long way in high school, too, because it was a whole lot of Wayne's World! Excellent! (laughs) Which... For Saturday Night Live skit movies, this and Blues Brothers might be the only ones that go anywhere.
0: Yeah, those would be the one-two punch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Funny, humorous, still stands up a little bit today. I saw it fairly recently within the last year, and it was still funny, but was not, oh my god, that's forever humorous. It just struck such a chord at the time.
0: Yeah, this really did um, become kind of one of those broad-spectrum cultural touchstones for comedy.
1: But for young people, I don't think it really could translate to more than like, if you're no, 25 or yeah. over, forget right. it. Yeah. <laughs> and It's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> it just was, yeah, it just was, it it wasn't like speaking to a generation. It was just no. this, like...
0: Really was infinitely
1: quotable. <laughs> yeah, off the wall, goofy, talk to the camera style that it, it's been done more recently, but it's still not very prevalent. It was just of its time, and I just wonder, in a hindsight way, can I mean they did it for the fortieth anniversary of SNL,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they were still probably about the funniest skit in that whole three hour special was mike myers and dana carvey doing wayne's world again could they or should they attempt another movie or would they just be better off every once in a while like spinal tap showing up on tv for five minutes
0: and go away (laughs) show up on TV, do some goofy little thing on Funny or Die or something like that, I think, would be your way to play this one. So you don't
1: think that the actual success of the movie Wayne's World, even though Wayne's World 2 was lesser, you wouldn't think that they could say, hey, we could go back and look at these characters, or was it just not enough character in the characters?
0: I don't think there's enough characters in the characters. Um, You... I, uh, you're gonna you're gonna get into one of two things with this. It's either gonna be things haven't worked out the way that they had hoped that they worked out, and we're kind of doing pseudo midlife crisis with Garth and Wayne, um, or we're dealing with a bunch of relationship issue stuff with them, uh, or we're looking to pass the torch on whatever that torch would be for Wayne's world, but
1: well, I honestly, as I, as you were just starting to talk about it, uh, my first thought was, Oh God, it's dumb and dumber too again. But at, the more you were talking, the more I was thinking, you know what? If they were in a really different tact and didn't have Wayne and Garth looking like they're straight out of 1992, but actually being older and being different, but then having to come back together and then just falling into old patterns or something, and then having some sort of, you know, a really visionary director come in and make something crazy. I can almost see a new Wayne's World working today.
0: All right, well, I'll drive back around to this after we see what they end up doing with the third <laughs> installment of Bill & Ted. I think that will be your closest... Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. ...comparison.
1: Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Um, number seven, we've got a really, really long music video uh, for yes. Whitney Houston called The Bodyguard, which she somehow managed to get Kevin Costner in her music video and speak, and there were actual portions where they spoke, but... My God, this thing made was number seven on the box office because Whitney Houston had a soundtrack that people liked. That that's all this movie is. This soundtrack is the
0: sold this movie. Cause the movie's garbage. I I remember that he had what, Farmer for his last name? Yeah. And he, and he carried her into a room or a house at some point. That's all I remember about this thing.
1: I mean, it was just. You talk about Hannah Rocks a Cradle. This is a movie that was a lifetime movie of the week. How did it make that much money? I mean, it just was the soundtrack. That's all that got this up that high. Was this the same year as Robin Hood? Oh uh, no!
0: That it was, was Robin Hood ninety.
1: That was ninety one. That was ninety one. Okay. Um, why Co- Costner?
0: Yeah, it it just had me thinking where he was at in his career when he did this one.
1: I mean, he was just a na- He was a big. He was the big draw at that point. Right. I mean, fr- frankly, he would be then what? I guess Tom Hanks would be now, maybe. Or, well, I don't know. He, eh, yeah, kind of
0: different levels, but kind of the same idea of the everyman character. He
1: was, he was actor, on the, yeah. well, I'm thinking more just in the business side. He was an A-list at 1990. Oh, yeah. Absolute. Yeah. He was top five actors to go to for studios at that point. But, yeah, it's just, it's a movie of the week. It's, it's Hand the Rocks the Cradle again. It's just, it's another, oh, okay, it's a. Superstar who needs this old bodyguard and they have a love affair while they he saves her from a stalker, and
0: that's okay. All right. Boring. (laughs) Is there any potential for a remake or a redux of this? I think that
1: I've heard it talked about, and I think that's because it's such a basic story that I could see it be redone, but it would be it would have to be so different from that one because again that one is really only famous because it's the soundtrack it's the music that is the only reason it's that famous Uh, so it and with Whitney Houston not around anymore it's it would be basically the Footloose remake all over again Mm. you just have to you'd have to find new music and new young people to try and do it I've heard people who say the new Footloose movie was okay I guess if you do that, you. Make I totally it forgot that they redid that. <laughs> I mean, if you do a modern retelling, retake on it, where you have new music, you have new young hot actors or whatever that are in it, and do the same basic story, but you can't possibly have the lead actress is a superstar singer again because then it's just a waste of time. I mean, you change it up a little bit to where it's just this actress, or you know, maybe the actress isn't as. Nice as Whitney Houston was, maybe she's a little more vapid. Uh, I don't know.
0: Oh, do they do they need to be a pop singer?
1: Well, she was an actress in the movie who could sing. That was her big thing. Is oh, all right?
0: Well, I was reading the description and it just says bodyguard to a pop singer. Well, she was.
1: A, it was basically Whitney Houston playing Whitney Houston. Gotcha. She was basically up for an Oscar, so she was up for an Oscar. While she was a singer So it was She she was just playing herself Okay Which you just couldn't do If you're going to remake it It would just have to be Either straight up a pop singer Or straight up a Actress Or something like that Yeah Or hell Even change it up And we live in this world now And make it like A bodyguard to a Kardashian Or or just something That's more prevalent now And Yeah I don't know it, that's enough to talk about the bodyguard what about <laughs> what about sister acting it's it's something it was a comedy sorry with <laughs> hers <Goldberg. laughs> yes, she's crazy Mafia who goes to hide out at a convent and befriends the convent and nuns and becomes a nun herself to sing for some reason sing right into a sequel or two, eh eh yep. I mean, that. I'm sure that this is on somebody's desk to be remade right now. Hey, can we remake Sister Act and have a cameo by Whoopi Goldberg? I, I'm, I can see it happening. The wheels are churning.
0: Is this a Disney product? Yeah, Buena yeah. Vista. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it'll get remade. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, a few good men. <laughs> oh tom cruise back again yep jack
1: nicholson this is uh a turning point for the kevin bacon game this and jfk are the main reasons why people can win at the kevin bacon game (laughs) um it's aaron sorkin's first thing he ever wrote it's rob reiner directing it's Pretty fantastic movie. It's a play I was
0: in in high school. <laughs> yep, still, in a very minor role.
1: <laughs> still holds up today. Is a really good movie, but it is basically, like you said, it is just. I mean, he wrote it as a play. They turned it into a movie. So, um, I think you could do something like it. I think there are lots of different movies that come out now that deal with military courts in one way, shape, or form. That are all producers going. Our movie is, see, it's like A Few Good Men, but different.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that makes this one stand apart, honestly, is just the cast.
1: Really is. I mean, it's a decent enough story, but it's just Mm performance-based. It elevates even Kevin Pollack to a decent level as an actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Demi Moore and the height of her powers. Talk about Kevin Costner, this was Demi Moore skyrocketing.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember her going up a lot higher after this period. I mean, she did
1: Disclosure after this, and then G.I. Jane, I think, was the peak Somewhere of her. Somewhere in there. That was the peak of her box office. That was the peak of like her, she's going to make $20 million a picture kind of thing. And then it was like, oh, wait, no, she's not very good. <laughs> Sorry. Let's back that off a little bit. All right, we're within the top five now.
0: dun 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 dun, dun number four.
1: Lethal Weapon 3! <laughs> they added Rene Russo. They kept Joe Pesci around for some reason. For re- some reason! <laughs> <laughs> it's more wacky hijinks.
0: Uh, wacky would be correct on this one.
1: <laughs> this is pure formula here. This movie was nothing but let's add a new character. Hey, let's give Mel Gibson a new love interest who's just as kick-ass as him. And he's still crazy. Murtaugh's doing stuff. (laughs) Murtaugh's going to retire. Again. Again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know what else to say outside of they did Leave the Weapon 4. And there's still occasional, every once in a while, rumbles of doing another Lethal Weapon. Not a reboot, but a sequel. But as guys get into their 70s that were involved in this movie, I don't...
0: I... I All right. I don't
1: see it. I, <laughs> I see another 10 replacing. years before we get an actual Lethal Weapon
0: number one reboot. Like yeah, a remake. We- Here's your basic problem. Uh, Murtaugh would be retired. Yes. <laughs> oh, and so would Riggs. <laughs> uh, yes. I. Yeah. It... So unless they got brought in by somebody else who's like, who was Chris Rock? What was his character's name in the fourth one? Butters. Yeah. Unless Butters came in and said, I need you guys' help on a case. It's like, I don't know what else you could do. <laughs> Yeah, because they,
1: they wrapped up everyone, ah. every movie wrapped up the bad guys. So it's not like you could have Hans Gruber's brother in Die Hard 3. Right. You you can't do that because they already did that. In Lethal Weapon 2, they had the guy who ran Riggs' wife off the road. And he killed him! <laughs> so <laughs> I, there's nobody left. Li- you can't go back and say, well, what if they brought this guy back for
0: revenge? No these guys shot everyone. They even made peace with Joe Pesci by the end of the fourth (laughs) movie. Yeah, they wrapped it up. There's nothing to go back.
1: Yeah, the only thing I can see is doing a flat-out, let's take Shane Black's golden screenplay of the original one and let's do a complete remake of it. Modern I don't know day. if
0: that would play totally today or not.
1: You could make it play by having the cop crazy with the veteran cop, and and his wife was killed. I could see a full blown remake of *Lethal Weapon*. Easily.
0: You say you say ten years. I, I think more like fifteen to twenty.
1: No, I especially when you're seeing stuff like. Well, uh, Footloose getting remade or whatever. They're talking about doing a Beverly Hills Cop remake. I think that the story is so easily adjusted to any time period.
0: Oh, I agree. You could You could do it. I just think that this is one of those ones that Is probably better left to sit on the shelf for a while longer.
1: Okay, it's better left to sit on the shelf a while longer, but we're here to talk about whether or not it is (laughs) what could happen. And I'm saying that it doesn't need a whole bunch of sequels unless it's like this humongous hit like the first one, but I very...
0: Brothers is a studio in search of a tent pole so
1: yeah i very easily could see somebody in the next five years saying you know what we need to do is a remake of lethal weapon and updating it modern day and the same bare bones are there and make a new villain or whatever but you've got the older cop who's close to retirement you've got the live wire cop that when we find out he's actually suicidal because his wife was killed Get a little bit more into the backstory maybe of Riggs and why his wife was killed. It was, uh, you know, it was somebody that he was targeting in his police work, and he's got an exact revenge, basically combine Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 into stories, and I, I could very easily see that as a remake now. Mm. But then we just talk about sitting here in a darkened room with no TV, no book, no radio, and a thinker pose, waiting for a bat signal to show up. That's where Ben Affleck is right now. (laughs) It's just sitting there in a Rodan sinker. i there partners. right now, yeah. Wait. In the dark
0: room waiting. Waiting. <laughs> waiting for those bat signals to turn around and glare in his face.
1: Waiting for a two hour movie that contains about an hour and 10 minutes of Catwoman and Penguin and about 25 minutes of Batman. <laughs> Ugh, I don't want my money back because it's Batman <laughs> Returns, folks. <laughs> this is called Tim Burton Off the Leash. Woo! And uh, it's something <laughs> <All right. laughs> But wait Batman Returns is the dark good one Remember it was dark And it was good Folks go back and tell watch you about Batman dark. <laughs> Can we watch Batman Returns Now and tell you if it's good or not We have an immediate answer It's awful. It is
0: not <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is Flat out I watched this movie a ton when I was a kid And I have explained it endlessly on this show Because Batman was my character and we had nothing else to watch. It was in the desert. There's a mirage of water out there. Oh, it's not water. It's shit water. But damn it,
0: it's liquid. (laughs) (laughs) This is the definition of a movie that cannot commit to a plot. (laughs) (laughs) No.
1: This is just... This is a bad movie. It is flat out not good. And there really isn't much of a germ of an idea there. It's Tim Burton continuing all the way up until we get to Christopher Nolan, that whole trend of we've talked about it before. They don't get this guy. They don't get this character. It's Tim Burton playing in Tim Burton land, and he just so happens to have Batman there to do stuff. It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, we've we've talked about the
0: yeah no, one. no need to go back and remake this one, just,
1: but it. I say the best remake Fox can do now is not to remake the first one, but actually go out on a limb and say we are doing a remake of Home Alone Two lost in New York. It's going to be called Home Alone Two lost in New York, the new batch.
0: I think you should do Home Alone 2 Lost in Gotham and combine Batman <laughs> Returns with the but Home you Alone plot. Keaton there in his Birdman outfit
1: <laughs> <laughs> against the modern-day Macaulay Culkin.
0: <laughs> I think that's what should
1: happen. And then Joe Pesci shows up with his haircut from the Weapon 3 to fight alongside Daniel Stern. Oh, wait, no. Did Daniel Stern die? Is Why it? am I thinking that he died? Whoops. I don't know. I don't want to... Uh...
0: I don't know. I've already made some pretty bad flubs. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> <so> want to be,
1: <laughs> I don't wanna be the, uh, the the jackass here when and jump on. Nope, he's still alive. Uh, okay. okay I, for well, some he, some so reason, something defined. was kicking at me saying that he died, but maybe not. Sorry, Daniel Stern. You're thinking
0: of Jack Palance. Uh, uh, well, I hope he's dead because he <laughs> would be about 140 right now. So you were thinking Daniel Stern, Curly's Gold. <laughs>
1: Batman eighty nine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Home Alone was a juggernaut. We both can't figure out why, except that well, it was just a quirky comedy that came out of Christmas and uh, all good people for the
0: love movies with kids.
1: It was all good for the family, and it was just this huge blockbuster when nothing else was out apparently in nineteen ninety Christmas time. That and Ghost. So Home Alone two Lost in New York was number two of the domestic box office of 1992 is this just simply because the first one was so popular
0: or like you said this was just sailing did this come out around Christmas again probably yeah November
1: 20th that year so (laughs) just name alone apparently people were really stupid hey that's got a good name let's go there repeatedly But I don't hear many people talking about it. Well, Home Alone 2 was better than the first. How many
0: of those movies did they end up making?
1: um, I think there was a third one direct-to-video. Oh, okay. Without Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) Oh, man. Home Alone. (laughs) That movie by itself. Can it be remade now?
0: Oh, yeah. You could still do something like that. I mean, that was, my God, that was like the hallmark of how many... 80s movies kid out thanks adults
1: but would it work now
0: oh as far as somebody i don't um you'd probably again for whatever reason have to have a darker tone um going into it or whatever but no i think you could still do something like this
1: because quite frankly it was
0: borderline would it three would students. it make this much money no
1: Well, I mean, the first movie was basically Three Stooges. It was. Oh, yeah. No, agreed. And how they married that tone between this light comedy and sweet light family comedy with essentially Three Stooges, I don't understand how they married that and then made a sequel that made almost as much goddamn money. And. It's like watching a John Hughes film. Wait. Because it was a <laughs> film. I, I mean, it's directed by Christopher Columbus, who did the first two Harry Potters, which are in that same light, airy, everybody's happy, kids rule tone. I don't know if you could do it now. I don't see how you could do it now and not be just a direct-to-video Disney Channel movie. I don't see how you could put that in the theaters right now and make money. Mm. I'm sure some executives sitting there going, "We got this Home Alone money. We got to cash in on."
0: I don't know. I think again, you you make it on the cheap. You put it out again around the holidays or something like that. I, I think they could make money off of it still if you really wanted to. I just wonder what
1: the conflict would be because you couldn't do it again with "We got two bumbling
0: burglars here." We'll see. This time it's kevin who forgets his kids home alone and they're twins for some reason and
1: i'm just wondering what the conflict would be without having burglars bumbling burglars coming in i mean but there has to be some sort of conflict with the kids alone well
0: see the kids the kids today they could be all computer savvy right and they could figure out well this is how we have to get to where mom and dad are and it's about their journey
1: Okay, we can stop talking about this now because
0: I don't know. I'm not
1: going to write it. (laughs) No, it's just, just, let's just, number one. (laughs) Number one, Aladdin, the heart of the Disney rebirth of the early 90s. And somebody said, can you do, since Disney's doing nothing but live action versions of all their movies, can they do a live action Aladdin right now? And a lot of people, and I'm kind of on that boat, say, I don't think you can, because Robin Williams' stamp on this movie is what made it $217 million worth, I think. Absolutely. I think without the Robin Williams genie, you've got a—this movie's probably sitting down around where Wayne's World is, maybe number eight, number nine. But I think it's that— Alchemy that really just put it completely over the top and made it a movie that I haven't seen in a long time, but I think if I watched it now, I'd still like it. I'd still enjoy it so i I don't think they can do a live action of this, and I don't think you bother. I think this goes quote unquote in that Disney vault where where all good films go. In, a lo- in the Disney lockbox
0: Into the Disney
1: lockbox <laughs> I don't know What are your thoughts on Aladdin?
0: Um. Again A product of its time And yes it owes everything to Robin Williams So
1: Now uh, you, that's not to say you can't do something Based on the story of Aladdin And the magical lamp Because that's like a really old timeless story Sure but I don't think Disney can do a live-action version of this cartoon like they're doing with everything else, like Cinderella or Maleficent. or uh, They're doing Beauty and the Beast live-action right now. And you know they're gearing up saying, oh, we just got to get further and further away from the time when Robin Williams died so that we can jump in and do it. And well, I- if we wanted to go
0: full 90s here, didn't um, Shaquille O'Neal have some kind of genie movie? Maybe we could plug him in.
1: Shazam. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: or no, it wasn't Shazam because that's the, the uh, DC hero. Um, Kazam? Or- Kazam. That's there you it. go. <laughs> How could we forget the golden child that is Kazam?
0: <laughs> so see, you just put Kazam in with the <laughs> basic Aladdin plot. just
1: put Shaq in there as the complete and utter opposite of Robin Williams. <laughs> yeah. Let's go on your magic carpet. <laughs> that sounds that's good. That's great. That's pretty great with that lamp. I'll grant you a wish.
0: I'm a genie. Are you sure you want to wish for that? <laughs> That's a big turn
1: right there. <laughs> big dramatic music. He's always trying to, to just talk
0: people out of like horrible wishes. <laughs> Are you sure you want to wish for that? Are you sure you want to wish for that? <laughs>
1: oh good god all right that's 1992 i don't know what else we can do we're an hour and a half now of talking about 1992 i don't know what else uh
0: to be said i don't know are there any honorable mentions off of the back half of the list
1: there really aren't man you go past number 30 and it becomes a just drop off the cliff for me it's like if I was to scroll through, let's see, from number thirty-one to number forty-one, I have seen one, two of those movies. How I've many seen, times have you watched Captain
0: Ron? Come well, on, oh sure.
1: <laughs> I mean, even let's see. Let me go a little bit further. I've uh, uh, from thirty-one down. If I took thirty seconds and said, "What have I seen?" Single white female. Honeymoon in Vegas uh, The Original Buffy Final Analysis Candyman The Cutting Edge Toys The Player
0: Ah uh, Toys What a
1: Weird Film <laughs> Consenting Adults Prelude to A Kiss Uh The Original uh, Buffy Memoirs of an Invisible Man, hey! Hey! Cool World,
0: which was weird. Yeah, also very weird.
1: Stay tuned. That's it. That what I've seen <laughs> from 30 on down.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you get onto the third page here and woo! That is some just... Guys. No, wait, I found one. Noises off all the way at 148. Oh, I I've just actually went to, seen that.
1: I just went to 100, and that's far enough. Because guys, this is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty down is just garbage. Not like
0: uh, you didn't like John Goodman as the Babe. <sighs> no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just. Uh, in fact, from thirty down, I would say "Memoirs of an Invisible Man" and "Stay Tuned" would be fitting into the guilty pleasure, like uh, category, because neither one of them is very good. But I saw each of them more than once back in VHS days, and that's it. Rest of it is awful. <laughs> That might that, uh, I don't know what whatever year we do next. It'll be interesting to see if there's anything that has as steep a drop off after number thirty as this 1992. Because that's horrible.
0: Well, some years are kind of like that. It's either well, we got it's feast or famine for like half the year type of setup. But
1: stop, or my mom will shoot.
0: Talk about quality. <laughs>
1: Uh, well we have the Avatar prequel at number 51 okay Fern Gully the last rain for us (laughs) oh (laughs) right oh man alright I'd say that's enough for 1992
0: yeah let's put it back in the bin here
1: only Bill Clinton remembers 1992 as fondly as we just have for the last hour and a half
0: I sure do it's coming back buddy
1: the beginning of my dominance
0: <laughs> and I'm still am not going anywhere
1: I'm moving back in. <laughs> hey everybody here I come again you just call me co-president
0: I am the first gentleman of the United States
1: I think that's a good ender <laughs> For- Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com.
0: Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he put on a dress and play a girl bunny?
1: No. No. Neither did I. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of
0: Enceladus Literary. Okay, but... ah!
1: Thanks, Danny. I love Washington. Excuse me. I need to dismiss you. I beg your pardon? I'm not through with my examination. Sit down.